Welcome to the Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is a place where successful thought leaders in the SAP space come to share their leadership styles, their tips, and their unique stories on how to run successful large-scale SAP programs. Listen to the podcast to learn from their successes, their failures, their career stories, and their inspirations. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link below. Hello, welcome everybody to the Configure It Done podcast. Um, I've got two two new people on here today, so um, I'm going to hand you over first of all to Bethany. She's uh, she's new to the business. We're all very excited to have her. But Bethany, can you um, give yourself a brief introduction? Sure. So I have um, I've got over four years of SAP recruitment experience. Um, I've been living in Australia for. Um, for over 10 years now, and um, and I entered the um, the Australian SAP market a few years ago. I love it, and um, and I joined Precision um, just a couple of months ago, and it's been the most fantastic welcome and um, and such an amazing team. Brilliant! It's really good to have you, Bethany. Brought some really good, refreshing ideas, and um, yeah, looking forward to working with you and and obviously doing podcasts like this because. You've introduced us to a fantastic guest today, uh, Manisha. So, um, yeah, Manisha, if you could give us an overview quickly of yourself and then uh, we're going to have a bit of fun afterwards. Bethany's got a quick fire question round um, just so uh, the audience can get to know you. But um, yeah, if you give us a quick introduction of yourself, Manisha, that'd be great. Thank you. Thanks, Jay and Bethany for giving me the chance. Now, uh, my name is Manisha Seti. I have lived in Australia for about 14 years and counting. I uh, lived in a few different places around the world and uh, I would say I ended up in IT by accident more than design, and it's been a fantastic experience. So I'm looking forward to doing the podcast as well. My first opportunity, first time I'm doing it. So let's see how we go. I'm sure you'll be absolutely fantastic. But Bethany, like I said, we're going to have a bit of fun. I'm going to hand over to you and you're going to do the quick fire question round so the audience can get to know uh, Manisha a little bit more. So uh, I've set the timer. Um, see if we can get it done in no more than four minutes. How about that as a challenge for you? So Bethany, yeah, here we go. Done. All right, Manisha, what's your full name? Manisha Jensati. I know that one. <laughs> what's your nickname? <laughs> Do you have one? Uh, depends on who you ask. One of the teams that I am currently working at, um, they call me TDL, the dragon lady. I don't think that's my <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, another group used to call me Mecca because apparently I needed a footy name. Um, also, I just go by Manisha. It's just safer. <laughs> I think I'll stick with Vanisha too. Um, where are you from? I uh, grew up in India. Well, born and raised. Beautiful. And how long have you been in Australia? 14 years and counting. And where are you currently working? Uh, I'm at Osnet Services at the moment, which is an infrastructure company. Fantastic. I know them well. Um, and what's the best job you ever had? Ooh, um, I'm going to go with the one that I had after I finished my MBA in the US. Um, I joined uh, Daniel Chrysler Financial Services and um, I was full of enthusiasm, motivation, ambition, all, all sorts of good things. And I joined the leadership program at DCFS. Not only was I working with a bunch of really smart and capable people, but the leader, she was fantastic. So really enjoyed my work, learned a lot. Still miss them. Beautiful. Love it. Um, we've discussed this at length, but what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> Depends on the day. So it can, <laughs> it can range from Tim Ferriss to a science podcast to true crime to Mamma Mia, whatever it picks the fancy. Uh, at the moment, I'm really enjoying Chat 10 Looks 3 with Annabelle Crabb and Lee Sales. 
catching up on some of their old, old episodes. That's that's been my savor in the last few weeks. Oh, perfect. A little bit of a little bit of pre-COVID episodes. You, yes. He's meant to, you meant to say uh, configure it done there, Manisha. <laughs> Best of the lot. <laughs> what's um what's your favorite item you've bought this year? Oh, easy. The stand-up desk. I'm on it right now. Easy. I need one. Jay has one actually, don't you? I um, do, yeah. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Hands down, night owl. Paid mornings. <laughs> <laughs> um, coffee or tea? Uh, definitely a coffee addict, but coffee in the AM and tea in the PM. Perfect. Um, ways to stay, to stay sane during lockdowns? Um, I'd say different things would work for different people, but for me, it's about having a routine, so some semblance of a routine. Um, keeping some social connections alive. So um, I've been very fortunate. My friend and neighbor, um, we've been walking most days. So it's my social connection, but it gives us fresh air. Um, and having a hobby, uh, having some kind of a cool hobby. I picked up, I was starting to do clay pottery in between the lockdowns, whatever. And then just before this lockdown, um, I managed to grab some clay as we were coming home. I don't have a pottery wheel, so I've just been throwing some pinch pots. It's been fun. Beautiful. But I, I did not know that about you, actually. Um, if you could describe your management style in one word, what would it be? Um, adaptive? Adaptive. Adaptive. Um, you have to be able to evolve with the needs of the times. You know, there are times when the team uh, needs you to be quite transformational or they're feeling um, a threat or vulnerable or you're going through some significant capability uplift, you've got to be able to work with what's going on around you, not just in your team, but also upwards and sideways. You've got to be able to adapt, learn and adapt. So I would say adaptive. Mm, especially important now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, favorite book? Uh, we've talked about this. I'm, I'm banned from saying it, but I'll say it nonetheless. It's Sapiens by um, Yuval Noah Harari. Um, mm -hmm. It really changed my worldview on um, how the humankind has evolved and how we will evolve in the future. So that was on the non-fictional side. On the fictional side, probably going to go with Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights. Gives you an, an insight into my psyche. But look, I'm equally happy reading um, Harry Potter. So depends. I read a lot. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Um, what languages other than English do you speak? Um, definitely Hindi and Urdu and uh, a bunch of Indian dialects. I don't know if you can call them languages, but yeah, enjoy it. But nonetheless, love it. And what else do you do outside of work? Um, so I sit on a nonprofit, um, a small nonprofit that promotes Indian classical music. And that just brings me uh, innate joy. They're the ones who call me the dragon lady. Um, <laughs> um, and I also tutor. Um, I'm volunteer tutor for adult uh, migrants that are trying to learn English. Um, it's something that's very close to my heart. And uh, just generally try to try to give back to the community uh, in different ways that I can. Beautiful, which is part of what we're doing today too, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, giving back which is is good. So, coming into the main the main body, um, on that note of giving back, um, we're going to tap into some of your insights today. But before we go into that, um, Manisha, how did you get into um, what you're doing and where you are today? Um. A bunch of uh, decisions and a bunch of random accidents. So I grew up in India and we lived in the Middle East for a few years. And then I went to the US to do my MBA, uh, UNC, um, go Blues. Um, mm -hmm. And that was great. I um, was working in Michigan and um, just through a bunch of circumstances and decisions, we ended up in Australia and I joined uh, 
and you know, Mercedes-Benz here. From there, I went to ANZ, and uh, I wanted to work closer to home, and an opportunity came up, so I joined Gemini. I had never worked in IT before. Um, I had necessarily never worked in anything about financial services before, but their need of the day was to set up a FEMA, and uh, then I knew a few things about that. So um, that's how I ended up doing um, working with Gemini, and uh, that led to Osnet. So um, I've probably done a whole lot of work in EPMOs, running PMOs, but more recently, more focused on delivery. And that's been fantastic because, you know, this is the silo, this is where we push the work down, but this is how it gets done. Um, yeah, so a bunch of decisions and some random opportunities that made me get to where I am today. Beautiful, love it. Um, so diversity in the work place um, was one of the main reasons we wanted to do this podcast with you today. You've got so many insights. So what does it mean to you and how do you define it? Yeah, so diversity is obviously um, a complicated concept, but in my mind, it's more of a relative term than an absolute. It's contextual. Um, and so the way I would look at it is, Bethany, you and I, let's look at you and me, right? We have many things in common. We're both women. We're both mums. We have more than one child. Um, we're both educated. We're literate. We live in Melbourne, we've lived in the US, and we probably have a few acquaintances common along the way. So in some ways, we're not diverse at all, right? We, we're very similar. But then if we look at it from another perspective, you and I are in different age brackets, we grew up in different parts of the world, we come from very different ethnic backgrounds, um, and so we're quite diverse. It just depends on how you look at it. So diversity can be contextual. But let's take that to the workplace. Um, in the workplace, what do we mean by diversity? Why do we want it? I mean, we can go into the academic details, but I think we can all agree. Research has found diversity is good and it makes people happier. It gives you better profitability in the long run. But what is diversity? Um, you know, in my mind, it's about having a very wide range of individuals with different genders, race, ethnicity, sexuality, language, background, worldview, all sorts of things. But it's about accepting and welcoming the differences and enabling the organization to benefit from those differences. I mean, there's no point in hiring different kinds of people, diverse individuals, and then expecting all of them to think, act, behave the same way. What's the point? So if you're going to have people with diverse backgrounds, we've got to allow them to have a voice and to contribute in different ways. And you know, then we start to get into obviously inclusion, diversity and inclusion go hand in hand. But to me, that's what diversity is. I mean, for the most part, we, when we talk about diversity, we talk about things that are visible. You know, I'm brown, you're not. I'm a woman, Jay's not, I'm assuming, of course, but I'm just, <laughs> um, you know, um, those are the, the visible aspects of it, the demographic. Um, you can measure them, you can report on them, you can even show that you've tried to uplift them. Um, similarly, things around um, LGBTQ uh, communities and some other things that you can visibly measure, that's all very uh, innate to who you are, right? I am a woman, I am brown. Those are things that just I'm in a certain age range. But then there is the whole invisible aspect of it, the way I look at the world, what my education is, what my uh, capabilities are, probably less measurable. And so it's a catch-all. It's a very broad topic and it's it's very easy to get caught up in diversity and say, oh, as long as we have X number of women, we've hit diversity. To a degree, yes, I absolutely agree you have, but it's not enough. So, you know, it's a, it's a bunch of mixed things. And I suppose it has to be led um from the top, doesn't it? Because if you employ a, um, a broad range of people from different backgrounds, but then you don't enable them to really share their viewpoint. And as you said, 
having different backgrounds means they can they can share what they think. It's not just about the skin color or the or the sexuality or anything else. It's about their thought process. Yes. But if it's not enabled from the top to be shared throughout the organization, then what was the point in the first place? Exactly. And, you know, um, it has to be by culture. So um, I'll give you a simple example. Um, if we have people from different age ranges in a group, how are we making sure that all of them can, can participate in activities, whether they're within working hours or outside? Um, another example, I had a colleague, she um, had celiacs. And so when we were going out or when we were having company events, making sure that she's got food to eat, you know, um, it's about enabling people. We did this lovely exercise, actually, I think at Gemini, where all of us stood against the wall and we were all given a persona. We were not ourselves. We were all given a persona and you had to act in response to that persona. And so they might say, um, you know, you're all invited to uh, after drinks, after work drinks. Would you come? Now, if I have a persona that has, um, you know, I'm a primary caregiver for somebody, I probably can't. And so I didn't take that step forward. And, you know, they kept throwing out these opportunities at us. And even though we'd all started from the same place and we were all being given the same opportunities, we couldn't all partake of those opportunities because we're different and we have different requirements and needs and constraints. And that was to me a very meaningful exercise because I just thought I haven't, I haven't thought of it in those terms. Just making it available isn't enough. So that was just more of a like a, an awareness exercise yeah. for everybody, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, what about um, equality in the workplace, Manisha? What, yes. what does that mean to you and, and um, how would you define that? Yeah. Um, actually, this is such a hot topic right now, particularly um, I think in universities, we're focusing so much on educating the young ones about equality. But I think we have to separate equality of opportunity from equality of outcome because the two are very different things. I want opportunity to participate, but that I choose to take that opportunity or not is completely my decision. Um, one of the examples that actually I gave to my daughter the other day is about firefighters. Firefighting is a demanding job. I think we can all accept that. You need to be fit and strong. You need to be physically and mentally ready. And um, you have to be willing to take a lot of calculated risk. I'm not saying random risk, calculated risk, but nonetheless, you have to be prepared to put your life at risk to save somebody else. Mm -hmm. On average, and I'm saying on average, um, men are bigger, stronger, faster than women. Um, also, men um, on average have higher levels of testosterone, so they have higher levels of risk-taking ability. And so if we just look at the average, men would be performing better as firefighters. But that doesn't mean men shouldn't be firefighters because they bring a whole lot of different skills and um, a whole lot of capabilities. Yeah. Um, and so how do you make that possible? How do you make sure that you're giving an opportunity to a woman to be a firefighter who can demonstrate the ability to meet that requirement? You know, she still needs to meet a barrier, a minimum requirement of being able to do the job. Mm -hmm. Enabling. Open the door. Give me the opportunity. That's equality of opportunity. If as an outcome, you don't see half the workforce is, you know, like as in you don't have 50% gender representation amongst firefighters, that's totally fine. That's an outcome. That's not an opportunity. Um, and, and we need to be able to separate that because I think if we if we put a random 50% target on representation, then that's probably unrealistic. That brings us to actually a very important point, which is quarters. And um, I've gone back and forth on quarters. I started with quarters about quarters de, um, you know, discredit the people who've actually risen there through hard work. Um, when I joined DCFS in the US, Somebody said to me, oh, yeah, brown woman, yeah, she got it. And I was like, are you suggesting I'm less capable? Um, so yes, that is that question of um, discrediting. But at the same time, 
you've got to be able to provide a, a playing field that enables diversity. So if let's go back to firefighters for a moment. Uh, if you really want women to come and uh, participate in that, then we've got to make sure that the physical tests are geared towards women and not comparing them against men, just like in sports. We don't really compete men and women in the same sports, uh, right? We separate them similarly. But Some similarly, do now. <laughs> now. Um, but ensuring that we're bringing, uh, bringing the different perspective and skills. So, for example, in firefighting, you might want sometimes people who can climb quickly or who can get into small spaces or who assess risk differently or who can um, work empathetically. You know, empathetically with somebody who's at risk, those kinds of things. It's not just about physical and mental strength. It's about multiple other skills that you require to be a strong firefighter. How do you bring that out and how do you build a diverse workforce? Mm -hmm. So again, in short, equality, making sure that we're giving equal opportunity to all our employees, removing any barriers for discrimination, and the one that we don't really talk about, pay parity. If I'm doing the same job as somebody else, let me get paid fairly. And I think that that um, that relies upon managers and leaders to make sure that you're making that happen in your workplace. So I suppose what you're saying is that this is a really nuanced topic that requires a lot of critical thinking because I think there's this propensity to take you know, a quota and say we have to have 50% men and women and then not think about it deeply enough to say, but why do we need that? How do we enable their, their thoughts to be represented equally? And you know, if we don't have 50-50, is it the end of the world as long as we're making the opportunities available? Yeah. And um, also having that systems thinking approach, if, if we're not getting that outcome, what's the barrier? What's stopping us from getting there? Is it a realistic expectation? And if it's a realistic expectation and it's beneficial for the organization, what's stopping us from getting there rather than just making a quota available, right? Um, for example, if um, in a certain job I'm expected to have a lot of flexibility and I'm a young working mother who's, you know, a single mother, I probably don't want to do late hours. So how do you make it possible for me to participate um, and make it possible for me to be, you know, a contributing member of the team? So Bethany could um, vouch for this as well. This is particularly um, prevalent in the last 18 months. So we've been on a number of um, job specs. So we go on the call with a client, they, they have a requirement and they take us through the, the job spec. And more often than not, in the last 18 months, we, we hear terms like, um, ideally it should be a woman, or um, yeah, we need, we need to work on diversity and hit this quota. Um, what would your message be to those those companies that still think like that? That you know, if you're a, a senior manager in an organisation, you might actually have a target to have a diverse team. Like, what would your message be to those companies? Um, I think the intention is very um, good, right? The intention is coming from the right place. I would still be looking at what is stopping from what is stopping them in from joining your workforce if something is stopping them. Um, first of all, is there enough of a talent pool in that area? I mean, we all know um, the STEM areas suffer from. Uh, a shortage of women in general. In fact, I was once participating in a diversity conference and I asked the question, what are we doing to ensure that there are enough women available in that down the track? How are we encouraging our children, our young girls, to become part of the STEM uh, fields? Um, my daughter was probably near four and she came home to me and she said, I didn't do so well in maths, but that's okay, mama, because girls aren't supposed to do well in maths. And I was like, oh, let's have a sit down and have a chat. Um, <laughs> So we did, um, and you know, it's about creating those mindsets from a very early age. So you've got to attack it from multiple perspectives. 
if there is enough of a talent pool in the market and an organization is not able to attract it, then is it a cultural issue? Is it that we are looking for the wrong skill sets when we are hiring? You know, we all assume that a job can be done by a certain personality. Is it correct? We're all geared, for example, in general, human beings are geared towards favoring extroverts. Is that a realistic um, requirement? And, uh, and reevaluating our criteria and then making sure that we are meeting our quotas. So it's not just a simple yes and no answer. And, and that's the that's I think that's part of the maturity curve. You've got you've got to stop thinking in black and white. You've got to go in the areas of gray. Um, if, for example, a company is competing for the same talent pool, not able to attract it, is it because our salaries are not reasonable, our work culture is not reasonable, flexible work policy, and women is an easy one to target. Let's talk about uh, ethnic diversity. You know, some organizations have it better than others. What's stopping us? Um, when I was very, very new to the country, I said, I don't really see a lot of ethnic leadership. Um, you know, what's stopping them? What's getting in the way? And, and taking away those barriers so that it happens naturally and we stop having these conversations. Um, in a conversation recently with somebody at work, I said, sometimes I can forget, sometimes, that I'm a woman. It becomes a non-event. I rarely forget that I'm brown. And so what's what's causing that? What's causing that awareness that I'm different? That no matter how far I've come, I'm still not the same. Um, last year I was interviewing for a job and I know the recruiter meant it in the nicest possible way. But she said to me, I'm really happy to see that you've done well in uh, verbal reasoning. Because they were doing psychometric tests. And I said, why? I told you I do well in psychometric tests. And she said, because English isn't your first language. No, ma'am. At what point did you make that determination that English isn't my first language? It may or may not be. That's besides the point. But you've made an assumption. Mm. And that's colored your view of me. And that has colored your view of me as a candidate. Um, and so how do we take away those barriers as well? That's a very good point, actually, because my um, my husband uh, was born in Eastern Europe and his first language was not English. Um, he now doesn't speak his first language very well. So English is actually his second language, but it's the one that he's more familiar with. So it's easy to make the assumption that he spoke English first, but he didn't. Yeah, and I didn't. Uh, and yet, um, you know, most of my education was done in English. So I probably am more articulate in, in English than I am in Hindi. Now, that doesn't mean I don't speak Hindi well. I hope I do. But um, <laughs> it's, not my, it's not my chosen first language anymore. Uh, and regardless of whether it is or not, there is a certain level of familiarity with the English language that I need to do my job. As I meet that barrier, that is no longer a criteria for me to be effective in my role. Mm. I can be Shakespeare, it won't help me do this job better. Um, and so how do we differentiate between that? Psychometric tests are great. I think you need to meet a minimum barrier, but they're not necessarily the tool with which you would um, rank people. Mm, definitely. So, um, so that brings us to to our next point. We've touched on, um, or well, we've we've delved quite deep actually into diversity. But how do you encourage acceptance of diversity, and how do you create um, an inclusive culture? Yeah. Um, so diversity and inclusion go hand in hand, right? I think I mentioned that earlier as well. If you want diversity, you've got to enable it. You've got to understand what are the needs of your team um, and react to those needs and make room for those um, requirements. I'll give you my example. Right now, I work longer hours than I normally would, and I'm happy to do so. It doesn't worry me. My kids are grown up. I don't have the demands of my time that a young mother would have. Um, I can choose to put in long hours if I need to, but it wouldn't be possible for many others. And so how do we make sure that we allow the flexibility, whether it means 
they're working outside of working hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, allowing people to, to have the freedom that they need in order to bring out the best in them to deliver outcomes rather than focusing on getting number of hours. Um, I also think um, you, you, can, you can encourage diversity and inclusion, and I like to think I do that, by being open, by being honest, by being respectfully curious about our differences, you know, as opposed to, oh, we're not different, we won't talk about it. Being respectfully curious, tell me about how things are, you know, in your world. Here's how I think about it. How do you think about it? Um, and then accepting that we are different. We are going to have different worldviews, but allowing people to have a voice. And um, more recently, I've learned, you've got to be willing to share your own vulnerability with your team and your team members, upwards, downwards, sideways, every race. Um, so that they can be vulnerable back with you because vulnerability is a part of the human condition um, and we've got to be able to respect that with each other. Um, what else? I think it's about that, the creating that safe environment and, and you know being aware of the micro behaviors that can be quite um, isolating. So for example, which we use, am I using language that is isolating people that's making them feel different from me? Am I using, um, you know, am I behaving in a way that is making people not part of the team as a whole. It's so nuanced that it's hard to put a, a single answer to it. It's mm. more awareness and saying, I'm prepared to go the extra mile to make sure people are feeling comfortable, people are feeling happy and engaged in the teamwork. And I, I wonder, you, you mentioned creating a safe environment before. I think um, it's so easy to slip into an us versus them mentality. So yeah. making sure that um, you know, if somebody does make like an assumption about what your first language is, for example, ensuring that you bring it up the way that that you did, which is, um, you know, in, in a way that educates rather than jumping on somebody, because then that creates a workplace where, again, it's us versus them. So yes. I suppose that would be another another way to really enable the conversation around equality and inclusion and diversity is making sure that people talk about it openly and have respect for each other and, you know, understand that we don't all grow up the same way. Like th this, um, this conversation for me is um, because I grew up in the U.S. Yeah. In you know in in the nineties, it just it wasn't it wasn't a thing. We, we were very much um, like a, a saying that you shouldn't say anymore because it's not true. But it's like I, I don't see color. Everybody's yes. the same, and it's you know. So when people grow up with that kind of background, just making sure that you educate them so that they understand without um without everybody sort of becoming us versus them. Yeah. And I think it is a really good point. I, I think uh, diversity and inclusion is not about saying we're not different. It's yeah. about we are different, but it's okay to be different. I accept mm. your difference. And that to me is so fundamental to how I view diversity and equality. I'm okay to say I am different from you, and it's okay for us to be different as long as we both treat each other equally. It's not in not accepting the difference. Um, and and I think the more we talk about it, the more we create dialogue, the better it is. I'm not sure what country, I think it's one of the um, uh, European countries that I was talking about. There's a library where people can just go and borrow a human being who's different from you. And you just sit down and chat for half an hour. I can't remember what country it was. And so I'm not going to say any any country names because then it'll be like, <laughs> imagine that, like imagine me catching up with somebody who's so fundamentally different from me just to realize that we are connected in many, many ways. In many ways, we are similar, and in many ways, we're different, but it's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. and, and celebrating the differences too, because that's um, that's how you get different work points, sorry, different viewpoints within the workplace, and and that's what helps with, with growth, doesn't it? Yes. I loved your point there on uh, vulnerability. 
and um, just looking at my myself, I look at when I first got into leadership, I didn't show vulnerability. It's probably if I look back, that's one of my biggest, biggest failures and I didn't do that. And in the last, you know, 18 months, this this COVID pandemic, the positive coming out of that is people have been forced to show vulnerability, and especially myself as a, as a leader and the team are reacting so much better to that. Um, putting yourself out there is so powerful. It's one of the most powerful tools, I think, showing vulnerability. And it's um, it's a theme that I've heard from many leaders on these podcasts as well. Many great leaders have all said that, being, you know, having the power to be vulnerable. But what I'd love to ask you, Manisha, is um, you had a lot of insight about diversity and equality earlier on. Um, is there an example where that hasn't been in place or has gone wrong um, that you can bring up? Yes, so um, it's it's obviously a sensitive area to talk about, and um, in particular uh, in one of the projects, we failed to appreciate that uh, there was obviously a diverse team. Cultural barriers and boundaries are different in different cultures. So what was coming across as perfectly normal behavior for one for one individual was um, seen as objectionable by another individual, by a, by a woman, and um, to the extent that she was starting to feel threatened and at risk. Um, but she was not able to comfortably share that with one of us. In the end, um, I feel that it was a failure on our part to recognize the signs because she um, she filed for uh, sexual harassment. It wasn't necessarily sexual harassment from the person's point of view who was behaving in that way. He was just being friendly, chatty, maybe a little bit you know, out there, but not in, in a harassment sense. And yet this particular woman was definitely feeling threatened because it wasn't part of her cultural like. And so, you know, while nothing untoward happened, she obviously felt at risk, um, raised a complaint. We had to remove her from the project and put her off on something else and um, proceed from there. The difficulty with that is that you can make amends, but it's never the same. It's never the same. Everybody then starts to feel a little bit hesitant. Um, you know, the members in the team are wondering, am I going too far? Is this going to offend somebody? We're all, we've all got to be careful. And, um, you know, it, it just doesn't lead to that good team environment. What I think we should have done is we should have put a cultural contract in, uh, and a social contract up front. We should have said what is acceptable, what's not acceptable, and give voice. You know, if somebody's going too far, call it out at the time. Don't store it for later on. For example, if somebody says to me, Manisha, you're putting on weight, um, you know, just go back off. Not your problem. It's my problem. It's mine to solve. Having the confidence. But to give people confidence, you need to give them empowerment. You need to make sure that they're feeling comfortable and confident to say what they're feeling. And that that it all comes down to that culture. Uh, it is so hard to pinpoint. It is so hard to measure. And it's so hard to say, yes, we have a good culture or we don't have a good culture. Um, but I felt really awful about it because I thought, as the leader, I should have picked up on it earlier. And I should have been able to do something about it. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you for those um, insights. And I guess I'm, I'm sure organisations can have a look at that as well. There's so many insights that you've given us today, which is brilliant. In terms of your career, who's been the biggest influence and um, and what do they teach you? Right. Um, oh, this is going to sound cliched. Um, I do love cliches, though. I think it's going to have to be. Um, no, I'm going to change it. It's going to be my, my manager in DCFS. Um, she really taught me about two things one you are there to look after your team so your team isn't there to work for you you're there to look after your team so you enable your team 
It's about saying this is what we need to achieve. How can I help us together to achieve that outcome? So it's a bit of that servant leadership um, mm -hmm. and, and really going all out to protect your team. Um, and the other thing was really uh, that that's where I learned about it. Accept your differences. You know, she, she talked about how she and I grew up in very different backgrounds. Um, you know, India, US, quite different culturally and how we could still find connections, threads of connections, and then talk about the differences that exist. I was teasing her while I was just letting her know my husband told me about how I put on weight. And she said, oh my God, my husband would never say that. Culturally, it's not okay for us, for us, you know, for a husband to say that you put on weight. And I was like, but that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what can they say? It's a fact, I have put on weight. It's not, it doesn't mean that he loves me any less. It's just, he's stating the obvious. And she said, it's culturally just a different thing. And mm -hmm. so just, just being able to talk about it and it okay. Yeah. I'm laughing because I recently had a baby and my husband has not once said if he thinks, <laughs> if he thinks I'm any bigger because I think he knows I, I just stare at him because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm American and we just, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what my fiance would say if I, if I said that to her. <laughs> Cultural differences. And to me, it's like, but it's a fact. <laughs> it's, true, it's true yeah brilliant all right so i'm gonna um ask you to cast your mind mind back um to your 21 year old self um i know she said you had um, daughters there and you regularly sit them down and yeah. but if you cast your mind back um what would you tell your 21 year old self um i would say be bold and do whatever you want to do because it, it'll be fine Nothing lasts forever. You make a mistake, you pick up your pieces again and you keep moving on. So just be bold and go for it. Simple answer. But yeah, that's 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 what I would tell my 21 year old as a not so much 21 anymore old. No, I think that's brilliant, actually, because I think that's something that it's it's easy to struggle with in your early 20s is, you know, you feel like all eyes are on you. You feel like you're being judged. And how do you get the confidence to just be bold and go forth and and do whatever you want to do? Because nothing lasts forever anyway. Things become. News. Yeah. Open yourself up to failure. Um, so who else would you like to see on this podcast? Um, I'd love to see somebody who has actually um, transformed the organization in terms of fundamentally uh, building the organization's resilience, right? Because uh, organizations these days are going through so much change and we all have to be able to respond to this change. Now, if I look at the energy sector, for example, the demand is uh, changing from the customer, the regulatory space is changing, and uh, the, the, the way we generate power and the way we share power is changing. And so you've got to be able to adapt to it and react to it quite rapidly. I'd love to talk to somebody who's been through that journey and has done that successfully. And if I walk out of, if I just step out of the energy industry, um, you know, e-commerce is bursting in every direction it has to. Mm -hmm with lockdowns you know again how somebody showed resilience in their journey from one state of being to the next state of being um would be quite interesting do you have um do you have any specific individuals have you thought about it i don't but i could certainly come up with something for you if i needed to if you wanted me to i don't have a specific person in mind sorry i'd love that i'll touch base with you about it afterwards because i um i know if you, if you think about it you'll have some good ones you've got a great network yes thank you I'm going to come up with somebody. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Manisha, that was an um, absolute pleasure. I love the insights there, especially around um, diversity and quality and putting a certainly a new lens on it for, for me as well. That was uh, absolutely fantastic. I think 
any organization that listened to this or any individual um, you certainly put a new perspective um, in their minds as well so i really want to say thank you thank you for that thank you for your time today and um yeah really enjoyed it thank you thank you both it's been a pleasure to talk to you both and you know some of the thoughts that, that have been popping in my head as i've talked they're all over the place because there's just so much to say on the topic and um, i think organizations need to just be aware of it that it's not simply just putting a photo or a but a program, we've got to change the culture from the ground up. Absolutely. It's such an in-depth topic. We um we had trouble stopping our conversation the other day. We spoke for half an hour and then I said we just we have to do a podcast because she has so much to say about it. It's amazing. Thank you, Manisha.